I uh, tend to uh, I tend to joke a little more. And this is one of those sermons, one of those verses, where you start looking at it. And like my philosophy is very simple as it comes to preaching. I uh, I let the text decide the topic. You all with me? And so we do verse by verse, chapter by chapter, page by page. And um, I am not a fan of uh, of uh, controversy, but I think there might be some stickier things in this particular message, uh, and that is just what it is. Uh, I'm going to share with you what the text says, what I think the text meant, uh, and what I think the gospel is in relation to this topic. Everybody with me? Um, and that's the best I can do. So if you got issue, your issue is not with me, it is with Jesus, and um, you can take it up with him. I read uh, this morning, I read a story about uh, Gandhi. Uh, Gandhi was, uh, for those of you all who uh, went to public school, <laughs> uh, Gandhi was a, uh, was a political religious figure in India. Uh, for a long time, uh, England uh, ruled over uh, India as kind of a colony. And there was definitely a, like, it was not a thing that benefited the Indians an awful lot. I think if you ask the average Indian at the time, they were not happy about it. Uh, there was a drive to get the English to leave, and Gandhi was one of these folks who kind of, you know, spearheaded that uh, through nonviolent resistance. And, and uh, he is a often quoted, uh, um, just, you know, kind of a giant figure in history. Uh, and there's an interesting thing, because uh, Gandhi had an enormous amount of difficulty with uh, India specifically as it related to the caste system. Um, the caste system is a uh, religious component of Hinduism that um, involves where, like, you... So if you are born at a certain station in life, that is as a result of a crude sin, or not sin, they would say, like, you know, karma or whatever... Um, good or bad stuff that you've piled up, and if you pile enough bad stuff into it, you're you're born at the bottom level and you're there forever, like the untouchables, who can only have jobs doing things like cleaning the sewers out manually. Uh, I mean, swimming in the pipes and stuff and clearing them out. Like, there's a real thing in Calcutta. It's an awful thing. And uh, then there are people at the top of the caste system who are, you know, in heaven basically on earth, and um, and he, he always had difficulty with that, like, and according to the story I read, I'm not an expert on Gandhi, if you would like to correct me later, uh, please don't do so now. And don't tell anyone I was wrong. Uh, I got a reputation to uphold. Thank you, honey. Um, so Gandhi attended a church. Uh, went to this church because he looked at, and actually if you read Gandhi's uh, political philosophy, he very much reflected uh, Jesus in a lot of ways. I mean, like, and there's no doubt that the teachings and the works of Christ like, influenced him. And there's that famous quote, I, you know, I love your Jesus, but I don't like you Christians very much. Um, and there's a story, whether it's apocryphal or not, of him attending a church, visiting a church to investigate the idea it, as a way of approaching the caste system differently. Um, and when he arrived, the usher would not seat him because he was an Indian. And he left and he said, well, so much for that. They have their own caste system. Um, again, whether it's true or not, whether it's real or not, um, the text we're looking at fits this. 
the ancient world was a crazy place. It was incredibly, like, light years different from where we are now. And I would argue that some of what we find, or actually a lot of what we find that is different today, is as a result of, like, like the gospel impacting the world. Um, and this is one of those texts that is perfect. Not just because it's scripture, but because it is a perfect example of that, of a text that, honestly, I'm amazed. The church is arguing about like race and all these other things right now. I don't know if you're not paying attention to that. Don't bother. Um, but there's so much arguing going on, and nobody ever talks about Acts 10. It's very weird. And I think the reason we don't talk about Acts 10 is because, um, because it's the gospel, Right? It's really hard when you start grappling with the gospel to put what you want in it. Everybody with me? I did not pick this text. It was the next one in line. So we're going to dive into it. Uh, we are in Acts 10. Uh, open up your Bibles if you've got them. The text will be on the screen, but I'm encouraging you to bring Bibles and read along so that you know that it's actually there. Um, and uh, as, we, as we get into this, a little background. So what's happened at this point is Peter has gone on sort of a preaching tour of Israel, and he's going to all the different churches and talking to these planted churches, and he's working his way um, on the coast, like up the coast. He ends up in Joppa, and Joppa, um, he is staying with a man who is a tanner. I am not going to talk for 15 minutes about tanners. I encourage you to ask me because this was a topic that caught my interest. I studied it. I read the Talmud. I read Jewish commentaries. I, I emailed a world authority on, the, on Jewish-like thought and exchanged several notes with him about this topic. And it is so neat, um, but it, it's too much and we can't do it. Um, so he's staying with his tanner, and tanning as a process in the ancient world was disgusting, okay? Next level gross. I had a roommate in college who worked on a dairy farm, and he said the worst thing about working on the dairy farm was trying to ask girls out while you smelled like cow poo, right? He said it was the worst thing. How do you ever, like, walk up to a girl and act cool when you smell like cow poo, right? Now, tanners multiply it by a 1,000, Okay, because it's in that neighborhood. I am not kidding. Um, and so uh, he's staying at a tanner's house. The place probably stunk to high heaven. He was there probably for months. And one day he's on top of the roof and he's waiting for somebody to make lunch for him. That's a whole other conversation. And he's praying and he has a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven and like all of these animals on it. Right. And I'm doing this really fast because it relates to the rest of the text. We can't not do it. Um, and all of these different animals, clean and unclean, okay? Now, the Jews had very strict and serious rules about how, what you could eat, how it could be prepared, where it came from, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you ate things that were not the right kind of meat or that were prepared incorrectly or prepared with utensils that had been used to prepare the wrong things or whatever, you were considered unclean, and you would have to be ritualistically clean before you could participate in your religion. Everybody with me? Um, so all of these animals are on the sheet, clean and unclean, and he hears a voice and says, take and eat, or kill and eat. And he's like, oh no, I have never eaten anything unclean in my life. Again, he is sitting on top of a house with a giant vat of urine in the yard for like preparing skins, and he's like, nope, only clean stuff for me. Um, because it's ridiculous, right? And 
a lot of people will look at this text and make it just about food. You know why? Because bacon is almost worth twisting a text to make it fit just bacon. Right? It, it just is. It's good. I, I really like shrimp, right? And that is a part of this. It is not, however, the whole thing. Um, and so, like, he has this vision. Meanwhile, in Caesarea by the sea, right, there are two Caesareas or Caesareas, um, and it's because people would build cities and name them after Caesar because, like, you know, that was the way you made them like you. And so there are two of them, and this is the one by the sea, in case you were wondering. I don't want you to get confused. Um, which is a straight-up pagan city, right? Very few Jews there, very few Jewish people, no synagogues, no nothing. Like, it is a, a plate. Well, there is a synagogue. Actually, there would have to be, but we'll get to that. This guy, Cornelius, is a Roman centurion, and he has a vision from an angel where they talk to him like he is a holy man, like he is a good Jewish follower of Jesus, a follower of God, except he's not. He's what's called a God-fearer, meaning he has gone almost all the way to becoming Jewish, except he's not circumcised and he's not necessarily following all the cleanliness laws. He's just like, it's the process and the formality, right? And the circumcision is a big formality. Um, but like, he hasn't gotten there yet, and so he's not accepted in the Jewish community. He's an outsider. And this angel says, send for this Peter guy. He's going to come here. He is going to set things right. He has got a, he's got important stuff for you. And he's like, thank you, angel. And he sends guys to go and get Peter. Okay, picking it up in Acts 19. I was originally going to start in 17, which is a little earlier than what uh, we're going to do, but um, I didn't want to rehash too much because I just spent five minutes telling you about last week's sermon. You miss a little, you miss a lot, right? Or if you slept through it, then that was your punishment. <laughs> what? What? I did not. It was 10 minutes. I know. I'm watching the clock. I am not sorry. It is really informa- good information, and I spent a lot of time learning it. Now, you're all going to learn it twice. (laughs) Acts 10, 19 to 23. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man. And again, so righteous means right with God. God God-fearing means almost Jewish but not quite, right? Like almost perfect but not quite. Um, He's an honest or righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people, which is not a small thing in the ancient world because the Jews super hated Romans, right? There were many Jews who considered, like in the debates amongst the rabbis about who was your neighbor, there were many Jews who considered Romans not a class of neighbor, right? So if you had to treat your neighbor well, that didn't include Romans. The only thing they could all agree on was that Samaritans are absolutely not our neighbors. Um, About three chapters ago, uh, we encountered a Samaritan who like received the Holy Spirit and was converted, right? And for Jews, that's sort of okay because Samaritans are almost Jewish, but they're like, they're like that cousin you don't talk to anymore, you know, the one from California. <laughs> Nothing. I, <laughs> somebody was going to throw something. I was waiting to dodge. Um, so uh, 
A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the three men into the house to be his guests. All right. A couple of things really quick. And more irony, which is amazing. Um, He is inviting Gentiles to stay with him. This is a colossal, big, huge no-no. Everybody with me? You do not stay in the same house as Gentiles. You do not host them as guests. And these are people that are all about hospitality. It is a religious truth, but you don't have Gentiles stay in your house. Admittedly, he, so Peter's looking at him. He's like, all right, well, I've got to invite these people in because an angel sent them. Um, and, but they're unclean, so come on into the Tanner's house. <laughs> Grab your Lysol. Uh, right? Like, it's ironic. Like, he's inviting them into the stinkiest place in town where he's staying, but he's like, oh, these guys are unclean. Um, And he's going to mention that a little later. So just a minute. Uh, So he invites these guys in, again, crossing a big bridge here, right? The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Um, We find out in the next chapter it's about six guys. So there's about seven guys who go out there, including Peter, right? Uh, Some other believers went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up. I am only a man myself. Okay. So, um, one of the things I talked about briefly last week, but I'm going to touch on again, is preaching the gospel to Gentiles would be darn near impossible in a lot of ways for Jewish people because a lot of evangelism and ministry and connections took place around the dinner table, right? Sitting down and sharing a meal together was a huge deal. It was a cultural cornerstone. So Peter goes into their house and probably eats with them and everything else. And so the food thing, number one, in a very real way is clearing a roadblock so that the Gentiles can be evangelized, right? So that the... the, the the lost people of the world can hear the gospel. Um, but what goes, so Peter comes in, this guy drops down, and Jews, oh man, like, they have a really low opinion of everyone else. It is really hard to describe how much Jewish people did not like anyone around them. Um, really didn't like. Samaritans were routinely called dogs. If you saw a Samaritan coming down the street, you'd cross the street and spit on the road. As you went by, you would kick the dust off of Samaria, uh, Samaritan dust off your shoes before you crossed into, the, into Israel so you didn't bring any of their dirty dirt into your town. They hated Samaritans, but they also didn't like Romans, right? They didn't like anyone that wasn't Jewish because they were a holy race, a chosen people, all of this other stuff, and everybody else is less than us. First thing Cornelius does is bows. And Peter does what Paul does later when people try to bow to him. Hey, get up. I'm just a man. And why am I emphasizing this? Because Luke is emphasizing it. He's including all of this stuff because Peter is going from a place where he is a holy man. He is a Jew. He is above everyone else. I'm better than you. And I'm not saying that because I'm being anti-Semitic and I don't like Jewish people. I love Jewish people. I love the Torah. Actually, just amazing, brilliant God's people or something else. Um, Anyway, um, but like at the time... They didn't like each, anybody else. He just did not get along with anyone else. And so he says, stand up. So we go from, hey, I'll spend the night under the same roof in another Jewish person's house. Admittedly, it's a Tanner's house. 
um, to now I'll go to Caesarea where no good Jewish boy would head if he had a choice. And he walks into the guy's house, which is no big deal, and then stand up. I'm only a man myself. You are on the same basic level as me. Am I right? Am I missing something? And all the while, Peter's probably thinking about that vision where God says to him, nothing I made is unclean. Don't call it unclean. But he's in an unclean house. He's with unclean people. And that voice, nothing I made is unclean. Don't call it unclean. And Peter's forced into a position where he has to look at people who are not like him and say, these guys are like me. They need Jesus. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. So Cornelius did not know what was coming. He did not know what this was about, but he knew it was a big deal. Such a big deal that he invited everyone. He said, guys, something huge is happening. Get over here. It is going to be a big deal. So he gathers them all around, and they're all there. And so Peter gets called into a congregation. He didn't even know was waiting for him. And they're a congregation of all Gentiles, all filthy, dirty, unpure, unclean Gentiles. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. This is a unique sermon. Peter's, because it is the first and only time a Jewish person acknowledges, I can't be around you guys, you're impure. But. But. God has shown me that I will not call anyone impure or unclean, or that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Peter comes to the realization, I'm here because these are people. They might not be like me. They may not look like me. They not, may not be from the same place I'm from. May not eat the same foods I eat, but they do have bacon, and that's slightly better. Um, but God said to ignore that and come. Cornelius answered, three days ago in my house, praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes, a.k.a. an angel, which is what it said in the previous text, just kind of filling in some blanks there, stood before me and said, Cornelius, has heard your, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Now, this verse has been controversial since, like, the church began, because there's this whole question of what did Cornelius do that was so special, and how could this have been different? And, like, he doesn't know Jesus, but he seems to know God. And, like, what's happening? He's doing good works. Like, does that mean the good works are what, like, got God to jump in and save him? Or, and here's the deal. Cornelius was a person who was looking for God. 
and the Holy Spirit infested him. And you cannot be filled with the Spirit and not be changed. Right? You can't be. You cannot have the Holy Spirit take up residence in your heart, start remodeling who you are, and not bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, um, it's not a good sign. Some people take time. Some people... Um, struggle. Some people wrestle. And sometimes just wrestling with your sin is fruit, right? But the fruit he's bearing is because the Holy Spirit is on this guy. And so he comes, he's, you know, like, like God, it's not that God had blessed him because of his works, but because God, he, he sought God, God blessed him, and his works became a natural outcropping of that. Um, I think I've talked about this quite a bit in the past. If you plant wheat, what are you going to grow? Really, I'm in a room full of farmers, and that's as best an answer. (laughs) You plant barley, what's going to grow? I know there's only like three people in the room who know this, because not all of you plant it. But if you plant chickpeas, chickpeas will grow, right? So you plant chickpeas and you get garbanzo beans? (laughs) Yeah. I never am. Oh, goodness me. So God sent Peter to them because God is already investing in these people. God is already planting a church in this community. God has already started the work. By the way, there are churches all around them at this point. Nobody has gone to preach the gospel in in um, Caesarea. Why? Because it's Caesarea. It's pagan Disneyland. It's a fun place to go, but you ain't supposed to go there. Um, not that Disneyland is I'm sorry, that just got out of hand really quick. Um, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, uh, from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Christ or Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And I pause here. First off, he says, I am, by the way, I think Peter tips his hand. I think part of the reason that like nobody had gone to Caesarea was because they assumed they're all pagans. We're not going, right? And now he's like, hey, I realize God's no respecter of persons. God doesn't care who you are. God cares what he is doing. And so Peter arrives, and he says, you know, look, I'm here to share with you what you've already heard. Caesarea is where King Agrippa lived. Um, King Agrippa would, without a doubt, know all about Jesus, right? Because this was a huge collection of events and a huge upheaval, and people were afraid there would be an armed rebellion and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so everybody has heard about this Jesus person. And so he doesn't have to go through and tell everything, but he does, and he does so in an interesting way, and I'll explain why in a second. You know the message God sent to the people uh, of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. By the way, Lord of all means Gentiles too, right? It means the unclean and the clean. And actually, all of us are unclean because all of us are tainted by sin. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. 
but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We're going to pause for half a second here. It is an interesting thing to miss. And I have read this passage on many occasions. I've never caught it. The order of the story is a very abbreviated version of Jesus' life, but it follows the outline of Mark's gospel, which is Mark writing down Peter's account of Jesus' life. And then Peter, when he gets up to preach, does the same thing. Kind of interesting, right? The books are connected because Peter's in both stories. Well, Peter dictated one, and he's in this one. So, um, And then he talks about eating with this guy. He's like, well, he was raised from the dead, and then we ate with him. The reason this is emphasized and the reason it is mentioned here, Jewish folks expected resurrection. They were looking forward to it. They believed that resurrection was a part of God's plan. Greeks, anybody who was not Jewish considered the idea of resurrection to be absolute nonsense. Like, absolute nonsense. The phrase that Paul uses is foolishness to the Greeks because they didn't believe that the flesh or this earth or anything that existed around us was any good. It was all trash. And actually, the gospel was counter to what everybody believed was true. And the fact that it took and caught fire and went everywhere, part of the reason people resisted it so hard is because, philosophically, they're like, yeah, this is a bunch of nonsense, right? You're, you're a flat earther. Not, I mean, at the time, but, like, it's kind of the same idea. It was generally accepted, like, flesh is garbage, resurrection is nonsense, um, perfect world after this one, all this other stuff. And so, like, he talks about eating and drinking because the resurrection is a new idea for this guy. And he starts talking about the prophets, and, like, most folks assume that what Peter is about to do is, is he's about to dip back into the Old Testament and start drawing out some text. Or he's about to say... Guys, Christ died for you. Be saved. Christ died. He poured out his blood. He was punished for the sins you commit. He, I mean, like God looked at him and saw all of your sin. He looks at me and sees Christ's righteousness. And all you have to do is believe in him and be saved. But he didn't quite get there. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on them who heard the message the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, this should sound an awful lot like another event in the book of Acts, which is Pentecost. Because when the Holy Spirit first shows up, he enters the room and everybody speaks in tongues and there's fire and all kinds of other crazy stuff. And it is huge, visual, auditory, like like visceral event where you could see it and the same thing happens why is that a big deal because these aren't jews these aren't god's chosen people these are filthy pagans less than the chosen people and then peter said surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water they have received the holy spirit just as we have. Two parts here that are amazing. The first one, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water, is 
almost verbatim what the eunuch, the guy, the eunuch, which eunuchs are like right out, right? Like eunuchs could not enter the temple. They could not be saved in Jewish faith. They were eternally lost because they were eunuchs, right? Um, The eunuch said, what stands in the way of me being baptized right now? And Philip baptized him. And here we are with the Gentiles, another group of folks who can't be saved. And what do we have? Peter saying, nothing stands in the way, let's do this. And they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Because it is very, like it's very easy to assume, it is very easy to assume that those that aren't us can't be like us. Like this Jewish fellow looks and he's like, man, these, this, this lost race, man, like these guys receive the Holy Spirit. They're brothers, like brothers in Christ. Um, what do we do with this? First off, oh, actually, I could probably finish the text. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And so Peter stays with the Gentiles in the pagan city, probably teaching and preaching some more. Um, so what do we do with this text? Okay, first, 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 it is very easy to assume that some people are just not okay, right? I, I used to work with, uh, I used to work with, uh, uh, when I worked at the home, we had a cottage of juvenile sex offenders. Uh, happy Mother's Day. No, um. And these young men attended a church in the community for several years. The pastor and several of the elders knew what was going on, but in order to protect the privacy of the young men, they didn't tell anyone. And so all they knew was this truckload of kids, you know, like 15 kids would show up, and they all behaved well, and they were all cute little kids. They were, you know, boys like, you know, most of them 9, 10 years old, right, 8. And they were well-loved and well-accepted until... Word got out. And then the reserve section disappeared. Then no one talked to him anymore. And then people started saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't come here. Why? They're sex offenders. Well, those people around my church. When they started that program at the home, they said, we want to reach the lepers of the 20th century for Jesus, and these are them. But there are people all around us, aren't there? Right now the church is fighting with itself over race. It just is. They are. And actually the culture is punching itself in the face over it too, right? And like, if we're going to take this text and apply it, what we end up with is, in Christ we're brothers. In Christ there's no difference. We are all in need of grace. We're all in need of salvation. No one is dirty. No one is filthy apart from the sin that we commit on our own. Where I came from, who my parents are, who my grandparents are, what name, you know, what country, what anything, nothing, nothing, nothing makes us different. Only the grace of Christ can make us whole and saved. Period. I want to point out real quick that Peter, being a Jewish man, Preaching to a Roman centurion is living in a country where the Romans are running the show. Um, During Peter's childhood, there was an event where a group of Jews rose up, Pharisees, rose up against the Romans, and the streets 
from Jerusalem to Rome, think about that, that's the Middle East and that's Italy, were lined with crucified Pharisees. Think the Jews liked the, Pharisees, or liked the Romans very much? Hated them up and down. These are people who desecrated the temple. Um, that was actually when, the, when Jerusalem was first captured by a Roman general. The general walked into the Holy of Holies and sacrificed a pig there. They hated the Romans. You hear that phrase in Revelation, the, de- the, desolation, or the desecration that causes desolation? That's what it's talking about. Like people talk about, oh, it's an end of the world thing. Nope, that was what the Romans did to the temple. They hated the Romans. And Peter didn't stand up and say, repent of what you are and pay us back. Right? Preached the gospel. He loved them. Stayed in their home. He shared meals with them. And he said, we're brothers now. Let's wash you and get you moving. Right? Why does this matter? Because the gospel is all that matters. Period. There's no discussion beyond it. Who we are in Christ is the only thing that matters. Where I came from, what color my skin is, what my religious background is, all of it. I consider it all as rubbish next to the overwhelming, the superior, the amazing grace of God in Christ Jesus. And nothing else matters. How do I apply that? I encounter a person, I love them the way Jesus would love them. Somebody needs me to help them, I help them the way Jesus would. I put away words that hurt the folks around me, and I salt my words with, with the gospel, right? And that's Paul. I didn't make that one up. I quoted it wrong. I see someone who is in the wrong and lost in their sin, and what do I do? I pray for them. I don't back up and say, oh, it's just like blank. And I forgive the, forgive the sins of those who've sinned against me. Right? Because if God can, well, heck, if God can com- like forgive the ocean of sins that I've committed against him, the seven seas of sins that I've committed, I can surely forgive a couple of shot glasses to somebody else. Especially if I'm supposed to be Jesus. I, I, know, I know it's an uncomfortable topic. I know I tend to avoid uncomfortable topics. I know that this is not a very good Mother's Day topic. But it's what the text said, right? My challenge to you is to love your neighbor. Even the Samaritans. Even the Romans. Even the guys who smell funny. Even the people who have ugly histories and gross backgrounds, the people who use coarse language, the people who don't dress the way we want them to, the people who don't have any money, the people who are always, always, always in trouble, love them the way Christ would love them. Pour your life out for them the way Christ poured his life out for them. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's easy to think of the lost is, is well, it's easy to think of the gospel as something that applies to only me. It's easy to think of the gospel as something that 
that doesn't invade different aspects of our life. Like, this is my politics, this is my gospel. And in reality, the gospel is everything. It is all there is. When we encounter a challenge in life, when we encounter conflict in the family, in the body, in our community, in the world around us, we have to back up, help us to remember to back up and apply the gospel to it. I pray that the folks around us, the people in this room today, would be filled with Jesus. Um, that as they look at the world around them, as they look at everything around them, they wouldn't look at the world through rose-colored glasses, but that they would look through the glasses that are tinted red with the blood of Christ. Help us to look at everyone around us as somebody who Jesus died for. Help us to love everyone better than we love ourselves. Help us to be Jesus to this world. And help us to bring the gospel to an angry, mourning, dying world. Help us to be a healing balm in the way that we speak the words of Christ and the way that we act like Christ to those we encounter. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good Sunday, folks.